it's a big deal. And what happens if it isn't passed? Um, what's been proposed now regarding the backstop? All valid questions and some that we're going to include in our Brexit Q&A session to try and answer your questions this morning, whatever they are, and they're coming in thick and fast. We've got Professor Anand Menon, who's the director of the UK in a changing Europe, an academic think tank on Brexit. Anand, thank you for your time this morning. My pleasure. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good, thanks. Tomorrow is obviously kind of crunch day for all of this. So many questions whirling around what's going on right now. Um, we're just getting them in from the listeners at the moment. It's 80295 to get your Brexit questions. What happens next in two or three people asking the same thing right now, which is what's the difference between what's on the table now and what uh, Theresa May's deal was? Well, there are several differences. The first one that everyone's talking about is that the Northern Ireland backstop has gone. And the backstop was an insurance policy. It was there saying, if we don't get a trade deal, Northern Ireland will be governed with these arrangements. And in fact, Theresa May, to make this more palatable, she thought, wrongly, made it an all-UK backstop. That's now been replaced by a simple stipulation that Northern Ireland will have this specific relationship with the EU. So... The backstop isn't there, but Northern Ireland has uh, specific and unique situations sort of halfway between the rest of the UK and the European Union. The other massive change is the, um, the, the way in which the Johnson government is talking about its ambitions for a future relationship with the EU imply that Boris Johnson wants a significantly looser arrangement than Theresa May wanted. And that probably implies significantly greater economic uh, dislocation to start with because trade will be harder under Boris Johnson with the EU than it would have been under Theresa May. So this is a harder Brexit than Theresa May's Brexit deal? Well, I would say this implies a harder Brexit because, of course, we don't know how hard the Brexit will be until a trade deal has been negotiated. But in the letter he wrote to uh, President Juncker, Boris Johnson said, we would like a less ambitious trade agreement with the EU than the one that Theresa May wanted. Right. If you if you're scratching your head about Brexit at the moment, Anand is the man to answer your questions. It's eight oh two nine five to get I'm them in. Scratching my head too. <laughs> We're all scratching our heads. A couple of questions here in this same theme. So I'll take this one from Paul in here. Under the plan, uh, how we, do we control EU migration? If a would-be migrant flies to Dublin and takes a train through the open border, surely they could then jump on a boat to Stranraer. Where will passports be checked under this deal? Uh, they won't. I mean, and this was always one of the things about the the special situation of Ireland is we have in the island of Ireland this thing called a common travel area that means that people can go to and fro and it will be a hole in our border system. Uh, there's no obvious way of doing it. I mean, the police have sort of mooted various forms of essentially profiling, which they've kind of done in the past when security and sectarian violence were issues, but the caller is absolutely right. It's going to be hard to police that border. So if, if I get on a ferry um, at Stranraer to go over to Ireland, I'm not going to get my passport checked under this deal? No. In terms of the transition period, that so if he gets his deal through tomorrow, Anand, what happens then? Well, if he gets his deal through tomorrow, and that's a big if, which we can come back to if you want, uh, that isn't enough to prevent no deal because then what has to happen is Parliament has to vote on a massive piece of legislation which is the law that puts the deal into British law. We haven't seen that law yet. It's a big piece of law that has all sorts of constitutional implications, not least for the devolution settlement. 
the government is counting on being able to get that through Parliament in a matter of two or three days, and that's through both houses of Parliament. Basically, the way they plan to do this is to say now that the the deal has been approved by Parliament. The Ben Amendment that said you have to ask for an extension no longer applies. So Parliament will have a choice. Either ram this massive piece of legislation through without proper scrutiny, or we'll end up leaving with no deal on the 31st of October. And then we get into the transition period, which is until December 2020, but that can be extended. It can be extended for up to a couple of years. Uh, There are noises from this government that they really don't want to ask for an extension. And if you listen to some of the... European Research Group group of Conservative MPs today, they're basically saying if we haven't sorted out something by the end of next year, then we're just out on WTO terms. So it's yet to be seen what happens with that. But under transition, essentially in economic terms, everything remains the same. Transition was meant to be a way of allowing us to move from membership to whatever new arrangement we negotiate whilst minimising the adaptations that business would have to undertake. I'm trying to make this about facts and... um about uh, the reality of the situation and what might happen rather than get into too much politics here. So just going through the text, each here says, what does your expert think the impact of the deal will be on Scotland? Well, uh, we've done some analysis of the overall economic impact of the deal on the country as a whole, not on various regions as yet. And what we what we have found is that the, the macroeconomic impact of this deal... Uh, And, you know, there are all sorts of caveats you should bear in mind when it comes to economic uh, forecasts. But this deal will sort of sit halfway between Theresa May's deal and no deal in terms of its economic impact. So its economic impact will be more severe than would have been the impact of Theresa May's deal. I don't know, I'm afraid, precisely what the impact on Scotland will be. One of the interesting impacts of this Brexit process will be on politics in Scotland, obviously, and the way that feeds into debates about Indie Two. Uh, we're getting into the political questions now. Can we yep. trust the current cohort of MPs to vote in the country's interest or will they vote for self-party interests tomorrow in this special meeting of Westminster? Well, I mean... There are 650 MPs and there are very different, you know, it's, it's a broad collection of different sorts of individuals. And bear in mind, for some MPs, they genuinely think that party interest is pretty much the same as national interest. And all the more so at a time when the, the leaders of the big two parties are such polarising figures. Uh, you can talk to Conservative MPs who genuinely believe that any sort of Brexit would be better than the prospect of a Corbyn government. And you can talk to Labour MPs who think a Johnson victory at the next election will be the worst thing that could possibly happen to this country. So MPs are going to have to weigh up a lot of considerations. Their own career, because obviously some former Tory MPs want to get the whip back. The economics of Brexit, the politics of Brexit. There are some MPs who genuinely think the most important thing is to get this done because we had a referendum. Uh, it's a very delicate balancing act for all of them. But I wouldn't like to sort of take part in this, let's slag off an MP sort of thing that you hear a lot of about, because they face a genuinely difficult choice and a lot of them are very tortured about it. It's our Brexit Q&A. Any questions at all you've got about Brexit, this is the chance to get them answered. It's 80295 to text us this morning, answering the questions, Professor Annan Menon, the director of the UK in a changing Europe. Um, Question here, Annan, can we still revoke Article 50 after tomorrow, this listener is asking? Uh, Yes, uh, we can revoke Article... 
50 any time before we leave if Parliament votes to do so. Uh, I mean, ultimately, Brexit, on one level, Brexit is quite simple. We leave with a deal, we leave without a deal, or we don't leave. And that's the choice that Parliament has been wrestling with for over three years now. But yet, all those options are still on the table. OK, a uh, question from John in Dumfries. Services make up roughly 80% of the Scottish economy. Do most free trade agreements cover services? And if not, how will exiting the UK, the, the EU rather, affect our service exports, says John? It's a really good question. The answer is no. Most free trade agreements don't include services. And the reason for that is quite simple, because... Anything that involves services is politically quite intrusive because if you want to start including services in a trade agreement, you're talking about aligning or harmonizing regulations. You say to the country you're negotiating with, let's align our rules on accepting qualifications or on legal qualifications or whatever it might be. And that involves limiting the freedom of your domestic parliament to make rules because you're you're doing them in consultation. The trade deal that has done most on services in the world is, in fact, the EU single market. And when it comes to what happens in the future if we leave the European Union, that is the great unknown, because neither Theresa May's deal nor Boris Johnson's deal has any real provisions for services. So the impact on services trade between us and the European Union, I suspect, will be quite severe. Uh, 80295 for your Brexit questions this morning. Ewan says, what will happen if the deal doesn't go through tomorrow? Uh, If the deal doesn't go through tomorrow, the Prime Minister is bound by law to write to the European Union and ask for an extension. I'm pretty sure the European Union will give us that extension because they don't want us to fall out with no deal. And then, well, then we start again, essentially. We've got this deal on the table. It hasn't been approved by Parliament and we've got to find a way to go forward that might include an election but we don't know when that election is going to be. He's got to write to them under the Ben Act, but when do they have to reply? Could there be some time left for some further moves on this, do you think, Anand? Well, look, the European Council is meeting now as we speak uh, in Brussels, and I imagine at some point during the day, they will either formally or informally have a chat about how to respond if a request for an extension comes through. So I would think that the EU response would come through fairly quickly in the first half of next week. Uh, another question. Will the reciprocal agreement across the EU for healthcare die after we leave? That little card that we all take with us when we go travelling in the EU, what happens to that? It would die if we left with no deal under the terms of the withdrawal agreement. This is one of the things that is common between Boris Johnson and Theresa May's deal. It will continue during transition, but has to be renegotiated during that period if it's to keep going. A few questions this morning as well about fishing rights. From from what you can see in the agreement that was reached by Boris Johnson in the course of the last 48 hours, what are the implications of that likely to be for fishing communities in Scotland? Can we extrapolate anything from it at this stage? It's quite hard in the sense that ultimately that will depend on the trade negotiation between the UK and the EU. I'm pretty certain that on the day we, the day after we leave, when we sit down to start negotiating that relationship with the EU, the French and Spanish governments will say, right, let's talk about fish if you want decent market access for financial services, say. So the final status of fisheries will be resolved via the trade negotiations. My sense is this particular government will want to keep us well away from any agreement on fisheries because, of course, leaving the common fisheries policy was central to the rhetoric of the relief campaign. Let's stay with food. Another question from Ian here about that. What will happen to lamb and beef exports if a deal goes through tomorrow? 
Uh, well, they'll stay pretty much as they are because under transition, uh, trade with the European Union doesn't change. The terms of trade don't change. The interesting question is what happens thereafter with a trade deal? Uh, I'm pretty certain that we will manage to negotiate low or no tariffs on those things with the European Union, though, of course, that's not a fact. That's a supposition. The real issue will be if we're outside of the EU's regulatory framework, that means that uh, animal exports to the European Union will be subject to checks, which will make the process slower and more expensive and so make it harder to export. Anna, you hinted at this earlier, uh, how difficult tomorrow is going to be. What do you think is going to happen? Well, let me start with my excuse, which is there are a lot of MPs who haven't yet decided how to vote. And if they don't know how they're voting, I can't really know what the total votes will look like. If you force me to guess, I would say I think the Prime Minister will fall just short. So I reserve the right to change my mind. But he might come back and ask again. Uh, He could come back and ask again, though, of course, by the time he comes back and asks again we will have requested an extension of the European Union, so it'll be a completely different sort of debate. Uh, I think you've managed to answer them all this morning, which is a remarkable achievement in itself, given how difficult and how complicated this is. Professor Anna Menon, Director of the UK in a Changing Europe, thank you so much for your time this morning.